Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody, doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. Hey, what's up, Centerpoint? So glad you are with us wherever you're at this morning. Um, Literally Egypt, Canada, Australia, um, all over the country, all over the local area. Man, we're so glad that you're a part of our CC fan. We say this every week. We mentioned a second ago. It is literally growing every week. Um, The cool thing about some of these re-entry events is we get to meet brand new CCers. Um, You may be that person who you've been attending for months, and we haven't physically met, so that's going to be amazing. Um, We keep reminding you we are having more reach in the history of our church over four months than we've ever had before, all over the area among like literally thousands of people. So thank you for engaging. Thank you for joining. And um, what I realized is we have a couple dozen people actually in the room and the introvert side of me comes out where I realized I'd rather talk to a couple thousand than two dozen. Um, I started to feel really intimidated. So um, I'm actually just going to continue to ignore them like I'm just online because uh, that'll work better for me. So, all right. So here's where we're at. Last two weeks you heard um, from Bradley Hamilton. Again, many of you have not met him in person our new um, student pastor who absolutely killed it. Honestly, like it's a tough follow-up to last week's message. But he launched this series that we are right in the middle of that I'm gonna kind of take the baton today. And the series is titled, Wish You Were Here. And what we're talking about really simply is just that whole dynamic intention of you're one place, but you have wishes to be at a different place. And what Bradley really drilled down on is not only do you have wishes for your life, like I think we know this, But if there is a God, literally God has wishes for your life. But all of us know, like whatever you call it, dream, your vision for your future, um, you have wishes about your finances, you have wishes about relationships, about where you want to be in 10 years. Um, You have um, just ideas about how things are going to look, about the person that you want to become. But all of us have wishes and God has wishes. Now, here's the thing where I want to drill down today a little bit, because there's this insidious underside to some of the wishes that we tend to gravitate toward. And I would specifically talk about this in Western culture. So we, we have people watching all over. So maybe this is true of where you're at. I know it's true of where we are at if you're living in the United States or somewhere in this area. But behind a lot of our wishes, our desires, our dreams is this ultimate pursuit of if I've made it, If I fulfill my wishes, it means that ultimately I kind of get to this place of autonomy and freedom. Like that is almost synonymous with the American way. That's the American dream, the American wish. I want to get to a place retirement-wise with my kids, with my future financially, with what I want out of my career, my pursuits, my ambitions. Like behind that is this desire for I want to be autonomous and I want to be free. And in fact, if I were just to survey people, you'd be like, that's a worthy goal. Like, I would love that. Um, I see people like that, and that's where I would ultimately want to end up. And in and of itself, there's not anything wrong with that. But I'm telling you, there's an an insidious underbelly to this whole idea that, like, my ultimate pursuit behind everything for my future is I want to be autonomous and I want to be free. Because that can quickly go off the rails. And I'll tell you how. 
And specifically, I think where a lot of us live, the underlying kind of idea behind all of that is this. And and a lot of times we wouldn't say it out loud. And if we're Christians, we wouldn't say it out loud because we just think a lot of stuff, but then we phrase it differently so we feel better about it. But behind it, like we have this idea of, I ultimately wanna get to a place where I can do what I want when I want. And a lot of times we would add with whom I want. But I wanna do what I want when I want. Retirement, what I want when I want. Financially, my future, I want to do what I want when I want. With um, whatever my dream is for the next 10 years, I want to do what I want when I want. Like that is the pursuit. It's almost kind of the American way. But because we're somewhat sophisticated and civilized, we always add a tagline on that. Anybody know what the tagline is? Is I want to do what I want when I want, but then there's a little asterisk because we just want to throw that in there because we're good people. And the asterisk is as long as it doesn't doesn't help have anybody in the room, but maybe you got it at home. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Like that's the tagline. I want to do what I want, when I want, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. But here's the thing. When this goes off the rails and we ultimately get to the place where we, our pursuit is, I want to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. It's always a myth. Because in any area of, of your life, even if it's not morally dark on the front end, like it's a good pursuit, when you start to adopt that kind of mindset, generally it always hurts somebody. When you do what you want, when you want, it hurts somebody. Number one, ultimately, in most cases, it hurts you, even if you just stop right there. And I don't know if you know this, but you matter and you are made in the image of God. So when you hurt you, you hurt your heavenly father. So it always hurts somebody. In many cases, it hurts you. When you get this idea of I want to do what I want when I want, ultimately you become a lot of times controlled by something. Come on, isn't this true? Um, Thank you. Isn't this true? Like a lot of times the things that you're controlled by or the habits that you're controlled by ultimately started by a misguided pursuit of freedom. So it it hurts you. A lot of times you end up being controlled by something. It, It hurts the people who are with you. And here's the thing, a lot of times that we don't think about, it hurts the people that care about you. And then fifthly, it hurts the people who are coming behind you. I mean, come on, all of us in our culture are kind of pop psychologists, but if you get to like 30 plus and you've got some stuff that you're carrying and you know, just some things aren't right, we generally just tend to blame that on our parents, but like you, you start to look back and go, this happened or that happened or whatever happened. This is what we do in our culture. But in a lot of cases where there's some real dysfunction that you're carrying, it started behind this mindset that at some level you weren't factored in in some season of your life and somebody did what they wanted when they wanted with the idea that it wasn't gonna hurt anybody and two generations later, it's hurting you. So, so the idea or the myth, like it just, doesn't, it just doesn't work. Now, here's the thing. This looks different at every phase in our life, right? When this starts to become our wish. Like in middle school, high school, the desire for autonomy and freedom looks way different. Um, freshman year in college looks way different. Sophomore year to another college because you couldn't go to the first college because of your autonomy and freedom, it looks way different. Um, it looks way different when you get like 50 plus, but you want to act like you were in college which is one of the expressions of um, sometimes autonomy and freedom. And then you start doing weird stuff and acting in weird ways. One example, a couple years ago, that, I don't know why I thought of this. Um, my wife and I were going to a gala and everybody was um, a decent amount older. And uh, I won't tell you their age, they're just a decent amount older. And it, it, at a gala, there's always an open bar because that's how you raise money. At a gala, you're trying to raise money. Um, I don't have that advantage here when people are in the room. Um, so I have to come prepared. But... Um, 
If I did, by the way, I would crush an open bar if I got to, spy, if I got to speak and had a mic. But um, so there, like, there's an open bar. And then I don't know if you've ever been to these, but they start dancing. And like, they're just at the age where you look at it and I'm not being, but you're just like, you shouldn't dance like that any longer in your life. Like that should have gone away. You shouldn't like, you just shouldn't do those things. It's just way past your prime. And it's like, you just start to do really weird stuff and it looks different at every season. But I'm just telling you, there's this mindset behind a lot of us of I want autonomy and I want freedom. And it plays out in all kinds of different ways. And it's somewhat subtle. But my point is this, is that you can have this wish for your future and all of a sudden you start to get there and you're trying to wish away what you were previously wishing for. So I'll come back to that in a second. Um, Where I want to talk about that from is in a book that we actually looked at last week and I want to come back to. And um, this is probably more preaching out of the book of Judges than you've ever had in your life. So I'm going to go back to this book in Judges, which is way in the Old Testament, and just talk about this whole idea. Now, to give you a quick backstory, and this is super quick, but... Um, you maybe know the story, you saw the movie or the cartoon, and Moses leads the um, Israelites out of Egyptian captivity. We have a lot of skeptics and cynics and people questioning. You don't have any of the Bible, that's fine. But there's a whole story about this dude, Moses, led um, the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. Um, then he dies, and a guy by the name of Joshua takes over, and he leads them into what was called the Promised Land. God had predicted that they were going to end up there. And Joshua was not a king, because Israel didn't have a king, but he was the leader. He would administer the law. He would oversee um, to, to lead the people in the right direction. And literally, God had set it up to where God was kind of the ultimate king, and they would be a nation of laws, which is kind of um, astonishing, because it's kind of the first monarchy Way, way before, uh, like, the fact that they would be a nation ruled by laws was just unheard of. But that's how God had set it up. And so Joshua led the nation of Israel. And then out of that, there was about 300 years of these judges. So Joshua ends up passing away. And now these judges would administer the law. They would lead the nation of Israel. And God kind of had this contract with them that um, has expired. So it's not for us, even though we love to pick out those Old Testament verses. But hey, if you guys obey the nation of Israel things are going to go well for you. If you don't, things are going to go off the rails. And so the nation of Israel for like a long period of time goes through this cycle of they would disobey what God had told them to do. There would be disaster and then there would be deliverance. And they'd be like, we're sorry. And then they would do it all over again. And there would be, God, we're not going to do that. And then there would be disobedience. There would be disaster. There would be deliverance. And then the whole book of Judges, which chronicles this whole period in the nation of Israel, it ends like this in Judges 21, 25. In those days, Israel had no king, they just had leaders, and everyone did as they saw fit. They did what they wanted, they did it when they wanted, and in a lot of cases they did it with whom they wanted, and they didn't even really have the tagline of as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, because they didn't care at that point in history. And there would just be this cycle, and this was the nation of Israel. Now, the whole book of Judges, if you were to read it, ends crazy. I mean, absolutely insane. If you're not sure if you believe the Bible, you should read this part for entertainment. There's lots of concubines and chainsaws. It's kind of Saul meets the Halloween franchise. And I'm just telling you, you probably have never read it. Go to the end of the book of Judges and read that whole deal. It's so insane. It's so crazy. But the beginning of the book of Judges is a completely different start. Here's how I would describe it, um, to put it at street level, at our um, language. It's like the, actually, it's not going to make sense to some of you that did not grow with church camp, which is a lot of people. Um, but it's the, the beginning of the book of Judges is like the last night of church camp. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, what does every girl do at the last night of church camp in middle school, high school? Cry every time. 
I did not rehearse that. That's just, everybody knows it's universal. So like there's girls that are crying. They don't even know why they're crying. Um, somebody's on a guitar. There is a campfire. We do this in Florida and it's 95 degrees and there's still a bonfire. And at the last night, somebody plays a guitar and you got to throw a stick in the fire. And back in the day, they used to burn CDs. A lot of our audience doesn't know what CDs are, so you can Google that. And so, and it would basically be this massive thing. Anybody with me? Where you would just, you would just decree, I'm going to quit everything. Like literally, I'm gonna give up, I'm gonna stop smoking whatever and dating whatever and sleeping with whatever. And, and basically, I'm just gonna quit everything in my life and God, I surrender to you and throw the stick in the fire. And then about two weeks later, you go right back. But it, like, it's this huge emotional moment. And I'm, I shouldn't make fun because it's, it's, it's legitimate and it's real, but it's this whole like emotional kind of let's go, whatever, whatever. Um, that, like, that's the beginning of the book of Judges and Joshua gathers all the nation of Israel and that's where they are. It's an emotional high. We're like, God, we will follow you wherever you lead us. We are all in. And Joshua kind of does this state of the union and in the book of Joshua, it describes it. And this is, he's talking about this period of the judges. And this is what J- Joshua addresses to the nation of Israel during this period of time, the, the last night of church camp. And he says this now, verse 14, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness and throw away the gods, your forefathers worship beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. Basically, this is God's going, throw the stick in the fire and decide you're gonna surrender to me. Like go all in, give it up, let it go, surrender everything. And then the people answered, verse 16, far be it for us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. Basically, the nation of Israel is going, Joshua, don't worry. Like we got it. We're all in, we're, we're gonna follow, we're, we're never gonna forsake. Like we got this, you don't have to worry about anything. And then verse 17, and it was the Lord our God, this is Joshua still talking, himself who brought us and our fathers, actually this is the nation of Israel, out of Egypt from the land of slavery. In essence, hey, we remember, we don't wanna go back. We remember what it was like to be in slavery. We remember what it was like to be underneath a king. We, we remember what it was like to experience that kind of, of slavery, and so they said, we performed those great signs before our eyes, God did, and then verse 18, he says, they say this, we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Like Joshua, God is our king. We're never gonna abandon God. We're all in. We're going after him. And then Joshua kind of taunts them. If you read it and he's like, nah, you go back. I give you like three months. You're gonna go right back to where you're at. You guys don't really get it. You guys don't really remember. It's not gonna end well, but verse 21, but the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. We're all in. And then I'm telling you, Joshua dies and the flowers aren't even dead on his tomb yet. And it says in Judges 2, 11, and then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they served the Baals. Like to put this in camp language, like you made the big commitment, threw the stick in the fire, three weeks later, you're pulling the joint out again and you're going right back to the behavior that you said you were giving up at camp and it starts all over again. Like you didn't even give it a minute. That's where the nation of Israel's at. And so Judges 2.12, they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers who brought them out of Egypt and they followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples. This is so key, all around them. So basically what the nation of Israel did was this, like, yeah, yeah, we hear you. We want that. Like, like we hear what what you're you're saying, but we kind of want what they've got. And the nation of Israel immersed themselves 
in the Canaanite culture to go, we just wanna do what they're doing. We wanna be a part of what they're doing. We wanna think the way that they think. And they did exactly what they said they were not gonna do and exactly what Joshua warned them that they were gonna do. And this isn't about cultural engagement, that's a whole other message, but they immersed themselves in the thinking of the culture and they started paying attention to the thousand voices cheering them on in the wrong direction. This is just side note. That is true about every area of life in our culture, that there will constantly be a thousand voices that will cheer you on in the wrong direction and you will look to your right and left and go, everybody can't be wrong, can they? And that's where the nation of Israel is at, like, come on, this is just, I, I talk about this a lot, but it's worth talking about. You have an endless capacity, I have an endless capacity to deceive myself into bad decisions. Jeremiah 17, nine. The heart is deceitful and it's desperately wicked without clarifying truth of Jesus. And it talks about the fact that who can know it, meaning all of us have the capacity to lack self-awareness at an astonishing rate. And so they provoked the Lord to anger. And then verse 13, because they forsook him and they served the Baal and the Astros, which that's like the female counterpart of Baal. Now here's why it's a big deal. This is not just because God said, hey, don't make any graven image. I mean, that's, I mean, most of us in our culture be like, yeah, if there is a God, we probably shouldn't do that. Like don't make graven images, don't do that. But here's the, the bigger issue behind that is they adopted the culture behind it. So as they began to worship the Baals and everything came with it, there was all kinds of other implications to that that were unbelievably extreme. So in that culture to worship the Baals meant in a lot of cases because the gods in that culture did not care about humanity. Again, we've talked about this before too. There was a class system. Um, if you were rich, you got a big time God. If you weren't, you got a JV God. The gods did not care. You had to try to do everything you could to get the gods to like um, bless your land and heal you and produce crops. It was just this crazy system. So they would literally get to the points as they served the Baals where they would sacrifice people in order to get the gods attention. In fact, it got so bad they would sacrifice children in order to get the God's attention. There was one case that has survived antiquity in ancient times where literally the Canaanite people decreed that the richest people would have to give up their firstborn child in order to get their crops to grow and sacrifice them for the gods of Baal. And so the whole point is this, what are you doing why would you even get near that kind of stuff? Like, why, why would you even like play with that at all? And so verse 14, this like better gives context behind this reaction. And in his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over. Meaning, this is terrifying. Because I'm gonna mention in a second, like God is never gonna force his way on you ever. What's terrifying is that God will give you exactly what you want. And they got exactly what they wished for. And it says, he handed them over to the raiders who plundered them, and he sold them to their enemies all around, whom they, Soki, were no longer able to resist. And they were in great distress. Okay. You like the Canaanites? You like what they're doing? You like their culture? You like their way of thinking, the way they're doing life? I'm going to allow you to be conquered by the very culture that you copied. 
And no longer are you going to be the conquering nation. You are going to be the conquered nation. And here's the downside, Israel. I wish you would have listened to me. You lost the very thing that was most important to you. Freedom. Because Israel, what I wish for you is way better than what even you wish for you. What I laid out for you And by the way, Old Testament, God laid out a relationship before the rules. The rules were a byproduct of relationship because God was going, I want you to follow me into something better. And at this point, he's like, do you not remember the stories of Egypt? Do you not remember what I brought you out of? Do you not remember what happened with your ancestors? Why wouldn't you trust me? And so they forsook the Lord and they followed the people around them and they surrendered their freedom. They surrendered ultimately the very thing that they wished for. And I think for a lot of us behind all of the other wishes that we name and we write down and put as part of our 10-year plans, the very thing that we ultimately wish for. And they got to the place to go, we're gonna do what we want, when we want, in a lot of cases with whom we want. And all of a sudden though, what we want, when we want, and I don't think this is gonna hurt anybody. This is about me, this is about my choices, about my life, this is about what I'm gonna pursue. And then they get up one day to go, oh, I'm not in control anymore. In Israel, this is my main point, simply traded one king for another. It judges 2.14, they were no longer able to resist. Come on, that's just truth. And whatever it looks like, for some of us, you grew up in this, um, we're in increasingly post-Christian culture, which means um, increasing there are people that don't even have any church background, which the church is really slow to understand that. So there's a lot of you out there where you don't have any context for any of this, but you had some kind of moral whatever, and you were following that. And however it goes down in terms of how you describe it, you just started to walk away to go, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna consider that. I'm not gonna consider a God for others of us. Like it was different, man. There was, there was this very specific, like I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, whatever you wanna call yourself. And then there was that moment where you're like, I'm just not gonna do that anymore. I'm not gonna follow that. I'm not gonna handle sexuality that way. I'm not gonna handle finances that way. I don't really think that's what I want for my future. I'm gonna kind of figure this out on my own. I'm gonna check in with you at the end of the semester. Give me nine months, like whatever it was for you. And we just kind of walked away and abandoned. And then for others of us, it was, it was, it was just gradual. Where we just started, like there, there's just areas if we were to be shockingly honest and we so struggled to do this to go, I just wanted to do what I wanted when I wanted, if I were just to be straight with you. And then others of us, it was this, this less subtle, just pursuit of autonomy in our life where all of a sudden we, we started to do everything alone. And we started to try to parent our kids alone. We started to try to do this spiritual journey alone. We bought into this cultural mindset that somehow we were created and equipped to be able to do this ourselves. And all of a sudden you get to a place down the road and you wake up and realize that you didn't gain more freedom in that. You lost freedom. And so here's the thing, this might be kind of offensive, so just go with me. And you were and I were created, which means there is a creator, and then this is the offensive part. And you were, I were, we were created to be ruled over. 
Like you were created, I was created, however you think that happened. And there is a creator behind all of that. And we were created to be ruled over. And this is why this is important because every time you abandon one king, you are choosing another. What you have to recognize is every time you walk away, you are walking towards something else. And come on, nobody is ever going to have absolute and complete autonomy. Like you can't control your birth. You can't control your death, at least in the sense of you can't really extend it. Like you have no ability to ultimately have ultimate autonomy and freedom. You were made and manufactured to be ruled over. And then by the way, to quote C.S. Lewis, if you could have absolute autonomy, nobody would like you. Like C.S. Lewis, if you ever read it in The Great Divorce, has nothing to do with divorce. It's a classic um, writing. And he talks about what hell would be like. And basically, here's how he described it. Then in hell, everybody is able to get whatever they want just by thinking about it. But nobody can get along. (laughs) Everybody has absolute and complete autonomy. And it's a nightmare. It's hell. You were created to be ruled over. And when you say no to the creator king, you simply are trading it for another king. You will always walk away from one and you will always walk towards something else every single time. And you know this, right? Like I almost, like I, I just, I thought when I was preparing this message, I just closed in prayer five minutes ago because well, like we all know, like we can all draw our own conclusions. We know what, here's how I would title them, but we know what the little kings are. We know what the little kings of appetites will do. And I don't mean like physical eating appetites, that could be one, but I just mean the appetite for stuff. That could be lust, that could be sexuality, that could be more, that could be whatever. But here's the thing about any appetites that, that for a lot of us, there's this temptation that we battled along the way. And at some point along the way, we're just like, I'm done battling that temptation. I'm not gonna do it anymore. I'm tired of saying no. I'm tired of withholding from giving into this. And then you gave into that appetite. And here's the thing about appetites. They are never fully and finally satisfied. It's the nature of appetites. The more you feed them, the more that they grow. And now the thing that you are so readily willing to say yes to is now the thing that you cannot say no to any longer. And you are ruled by your appetite. For some, it's it's insecurity. And there's uh, places in our life where following Jesus is calling us to move outside of our insecurity, but because we are carrying some shame and vulnerability issues that we've never dealt with, we're very reluctant to step out. We're we're very reluctant to follow Jesus in that area. We hide behind our insecurity. We disconnect from other people, and you are in a place where you are being ruled by your insecurity. It's fear. It's comparison. the The poison of keeping up I don't know if I've done enough. I don't know if I'm falling behind. It's lust. I don't really need to explain that. It's consumption where you start saying yes to stuff, whether it's alcohol or a hundred other things. And now all of a sudden you don't have as much control as you used to have. It's greed. Greed is just the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Everything that I get is for me. The only problem with that is when you have that mindset, the more you get, the more you want. And you have trouble saying no. Amazon keeps arriving every day. And then the last one, family history. All right, can we just talk about that one for a second? So for some of us, for some of you, like your number one goal in life is, I am not going to be like fill in the blank. I'm not gonna be like my aunt. 
I'm not gonna be like my mom. I'm not gonna be like my dad. I'm not gonna have the, the history that my family had. I'm not gonna fall in line with that. We're not gonna do that. We're gonna be different. But your almost sole goal in life, whether you wrote it down or not as a goal is, we will not repeat our family history. Now you can think I'm lying or sound arrogant or whatever. I just have had a lot of conversations. So you mark this down and come back to it maybe in 10 years from now, but just, just hear me for a second. The man or woman who decides that they are gonna abandon God and go a different direction. I'm just telling you, your family history will repeat itself. You were created to be ruled over, not controlled, but you were created to be ruled over. And your best option at breaking some multi-generational dysfunction that maybe many watching and listening are carrying is not to say, I'm gonna do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, with this illusion that it's not gonna hurt anybody because that's how it started in the first place. And your family history will repeat itself. And come on, a God who loves you says, listen, I gave everything. I, I laid everything on the line to come through Jesus to live a perfect life and die the death that all of humanity should have died. And then I walked out of a grave alive and he makes this either he's a lunatic offensive statement or it's true. And because he rose from the grave, I believe it's true when he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. The only way to God is through Jesus to say, I'm placing my faith and trust in what you have done and not what I can do. And he goes, if I was willing to do that in history for you, do you not think that I will lead you? Do you not think that my wishes for your life are better than your wishes for your life? Why would you not say yes to him? But when you walk away from the authority of one king, you always pick up another one. When you walk outside from under the rule of one king, you always end up being ruled by another, and you know how it starts, right? This is the enemy, enemy's taunting. Hey, just say you won't. Just say you won't. Just say you won't. Just say you won't do it. You, you, you won't follow that. You won't live on a budget. You won't take that seriously. You won't prioritize that in your spiritual walk. You won't go down that road. You're just, you won't, you won't, you won't, you won't. I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna be independent. I want autonomy. I want a freedom. I won't, I won't, I won't. And then you're taunted long enough to just say out loud, I won't until you get up one day and suddenly I won't has turned into, I can't. I wish I could go back. I wish that I was not so handcuffed to that habit. I wish that I could be okay with myself even when other people are not okay with me, but I'm having a hard time, hard time moving out of this funk. There was a time where I was functioning in community with other people and being vulnerable, and I don't know how to get back to that place. And it all started with, I won't. And now you can't. Because here's the thing, the substitute gods in your life, they don't love you. They're not gonna be merciful to you. They don't care about you. When you trade in one king, you're picking up another king. And when you decide to go after the substitute God, just understand that you are not moving outside of the reins of autonomy or outside the reins of authority. You are moving underneath a different authority. And come on, even if you don't think any of that's true, can you just think about this for a second? Isn't it crazy how it's so much easier to say no to God than it is to say no to the substitute gods in our life? Just think about that for a second. Why is that so easy? 
Why is that so easy on the front end to go, no, I'm not gonna do that. No, I'm not gonna follow it. Even if, if it's really clear, this is not like some gray area. It's like, no, I know, but I'm not gonna do that. Why is it so much easier on the front end to say no to God than it is to say no to the substitute gods? That should reveal something about us and about the enemy who is trying to play us. It's so much easier to go, I'm not gonna do that. And then you get on the other side and many of us are in a place right now where we, with everything, we wanna say yes to God. And it is so hard. But we said no so easily and we said yes to the substitute God so easily. And now we wanna say yes to God again and it is so difficult. Why is that? Because the substitute kings, whatever they are, and there's a list of a thousand things. You don't need me to tell you. The substitute kings, they want to control you. And they wanna take your freedom And they want to bait you into the substitute that will lead you underneath the rule of something else that is not going to love you and is not gonna care for you. And this is just the reality. Maximum freedom is found under the canopy of the authority of God. Maximum freedom. See, this is the the counterintuitive thing. It's why we deny it because it just doesn't seem true, but it is true that maximum freedom. I would even go further that maximum fulfillment and pleasure, and you can keep going, maximum peace, but maximum freedom is found under the canopy of God's authority. It's why it is so much easier to say no to God than to say no to the substitutes in our life. So here's how this particular season of the life of Israel ends. Not the book of Judges, but like this particular scene in Judges 3.8. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel. So they sold them into the hands of Cushan, Rishathaim, king of Aram, Naharim. God's like, at least you could pronounce my name. To whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. And they suffered at the hand of the very culture that they adopted. And this is what I love because at the end of this, they did what we do. They did what what some of you no doubt are ready to do and what probably a lot of us should do. But they got to the end of that, this cycle one more time of disobedience, disaster, God comes and delivers and they throw up their hand to go, God, we were wrong. And we substituted your authority and your rule for something lesser. And we need you. And we're having trouble saying yes now. And we're having trouble saying no to the right things. But we're throwing up our hands to to go, God, we need you. God, we're crying out to you. God, we surrender to you. God, we need your deliverance. That's what I love about the scriptures, God's declaration. Am I gonna deliver you? Yes, because that's who I am. I mean, it's ridiculous. If you're a parent, even if you pride yourself on being a good parent, you put yourself in the shoes of where the nation of Israel was at and where God was at, eventually you'd go, no, I'm done. Every single time, God, yes. Because here's the truth. This is maybe the overarching kind of glaring character and truth about God that explains so much of scripture is that God maybe more than than most of his other characteristics, is a merciful God. And he's so merciful that he will not force his way on you. Like what you have to understand is this, if he wanted to control you, he would have created you controlled. 
But instead, for there to be real love, God had to allow you to go where you want to go, to choose what you want to choose, to do what you want to do. And then simultaneously, because this is unlike anything else in history, it's why you should, you should investigate it if you're not sure. Unlike anything else, go look it up. He, he gave grace to lead back, to invite back, to welcome back. And here's what I'd say as I close right now. There is nothing greater, the scripture talks about this, than people who are coming home and celebrating people who are returning to go, there's a lot of dysfunction. I've said yes to a lot of stuff I shouldn't have said yes to. There's a whole lot of substitutes. I thought I was getting outside of rule and I just realized I'm being ruled by something else and it's not good. It doesn't love me. It is not kind. It is not what I wanted. And God, I'm ready to say yes to you. I'm ready to get out from under this. I'm ready to begin to walk outside of this habit and it may take three years or 13 years. I don't know, but I just know I need you and I want you. And so God, help me. God, lead me. God, restore me. God, save me. God, rescue me. And and that's amazing and we should celebrate that. But I just wanna say this as we conclude. God has a greater desire than just forgiving you. God wants to bless you. And you just need to know on the front end, a lot of things that that you can choose blessing rather than forgiveness. Like he's going to forgive you and he's gonna forgive you for what you've done and where you are and where you're gonna go. But I'm just saying, there's a lot of things that God has already laid out to go. I want to help you avoid some of that. My wishes for you are better than your wishes for you. And the reality is he will receive you back. But you don't get back your 20s. You don't get back your 30s. You can't reparent your kid again. You can't do a first marriage over again. So God's going, wherever you're at, I want you to surrender to me. And if you're the prodigal that's coming home, come on, I'm ready and I'm celebrating. And I'll begin to restore just like I did for the nation of Israel. And for others of you, you are right on the precipice of this illusion that I'm gonna pursue my own autonomy and freedom and I'm gonna get outside of, out from under the rule that I so despise. And you just need to know you are about to trade one king for another. And the trade-in is not worth it. And God wishes so much more for your life. Here's what I put in my notes and this is it. Our wish to do what we want, when we want, with whom we want, is simply a trade of one king for another. And we lose our freedom and we lose out ultimately on the very thing that God wishes for our life. Would you pray with me wherever you're at right now in a home, in a, in a kitchen, in a prison cell, in a car as you podcast this or listen to the radio, wherever you're at, you can create a sacred space because God invades wherever we are. One of the things we're learning in this season, what has been true all, of, all along is that God does not need a building. God is not confined to a couple walls. God's movement will evade any space where you are at. And he will bring light into any kind of dark situation. And he will stop you in your tracks even when you were just casually podcasting a message on the fly. And yet this is a moment where God wants to do something in your heart that you will actually look back to to change the trajectory of your life. That's just what God does. So wherever you are, would you just pray with me? And maybe if this is specifically spoken to your heart, you would create some sacred space for what God wants to do in this moment. Lord, I just pray for wherever this lands. I have no idea, but I know it's all over the place. And I know that your spirit has a way of speaking so painfully, 
clearly to, to the very thing that maybe we're wrestling with or struggling with or weighing. And so I just pray in this moment, I just wanna give you a second just to do your thing. Speak louder and clearer than I could ever do on this stage to reveal exactly what you want us to do, where you want us to go. And in many cases, I pray that you would just bring clarity to the hearts of people that are all prone to deceive ourselves into all kinds of things without you. And so I pray that in your grace and in your mercy for some of us, somehow you would just stop us in our tracks right now in this moment. And Lord, I just wanna pray for two groups of people. I pray for those right now who are surrendering to say, I've, I've run, it was a bad trade. I want it back. That they would be overwhelmed with the reality that in this moment you will receive them back. And your love and your grace and your mercy is enough. And you're not, you're not bringing them back to put them on probation. You're bringing them back to give them a hope and a future. And you still have a purpose and a destiny for their life. And so I just pray that in this moment, as they surrender to you to go, Jesus, I wanna follow you out from under these substitute kings, that you would meet them right where they are. I pray for those that this is the moment where they need to begin a relationship with Jesus. And there is no other way to God other than Jesus. And he validated and authenticated that everything that he said was true when he walked out of a grave alive and then documented it in history. And that is forgiveness is available to all. It only happens through Jesus. He came and lived a perfect life that nobody has been able to pull off. He died the death for all of humanity because there needed to be a substitute for sin and the dysfunction that all of us carry. And then three days later, he walked out of a grave alive to write. It is full. It, it is it is finished, paid in full across all of humanity. And now through simple faith and trust, we can have a relationship with Jesus. And so I pray for those in this moment who are making that transfer of trust to say, Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me and save me. I believe in you. And then Lord, I pray for, for those that are on the edge of a decision. And Lord, this is the wake up call to go. I, I want to place myself under your authority recognizing that maximum freedom is found in that place. And so God, just do your thing. I wanna encourage you as I get ready to, to end because we wanna know about your decision and help you on this journey as God has grown this literally as a global church. And so wherever you are, this invitation is for you to just text CC Decide to 94,000. If you've made any decision at all, we'd love to help you with the next step. Text CC Decide to 94,000. Jesus, thank you for what you're doing in hearts and lives in this moment. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.